And here we are again. Let's talk some quirky news. On the line is Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. Brian, you uh, have a, a story of car racing, well, of racing at least. Racing, yes. This is tiny, tiny cars. So France is holding a nano car race, the Molecular Grand Prix. And so this is an event for machines at the molecular level that compete on a nano-sized racetrack. Now, these are tiny vehicles. They're the biggest molecule. They have wheels, a chassis, and they're propelled by the energy from electric pulses. So you can't actually see these with the naked eye. But if you have a, you use a microscope, which is located uh, in Toulouse, in where the race is going to be, you'll be able to follow the race. So it's, it's um, a bit of fun, but it's also uh, a feat of genuine scientific prowess and international human adventure. It's only going to happen once. It's going to be broadcast live on the web um, and also at the Science Centre in Toulouse. So keep an eye out for it. And, um, yeah, this is these are really a race car that's as big as a molecule. A million times smaller than a millimetre. They do five nanometers an hour. That is five times 10 to the minus 12 kilometres. So if you were to drive the 876 kilometres from Sydney to Melbourne, it would take you 20 billion years. <laughs> Right, and the fuel, apparently the fuel economy is terrible too. <laughs> the only bad thing about 20 billion years is that our sun is going to burn out in about 5 billion years. Now, sorry, Brian, you were going to say something? I was going to say I believe Ferrari's team uh, made a vehicle that's two molecules in size, <laughs> and there's a lot of uh, controversy about about that. A lot of legal things going on there. They, legal stuff. They yeah. have to do it in rather unusual circumstances. They do it in minus 217 degrees Celsius, where the laws of physics are drastically different, so they tell me. That was Volkswagen's excuse, apparently. <laughs> the big issue, if you're going to watch it, you really want to know which corner they're going to crash on. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to watch the pit crew action. Yeah. In, in hey, something like this. One of the wheels fell off one of them. <laughs> no, it did. It, seriously. <laughs> one of the wheels fell off. It, it's got things where they have to actually rotate, and they're not quite sure whether it's rolling or just resistance or what, but they literally are in the, sh well, loosely in the shape of a body and four things on the side, which are like wheels, but apparently in one case, one fell off. And spun out. I guess <laughs> the wheel end up in the stands. <laughs> you see someone suddenly recoil from the microscope holding their eye. <laughs> I wondered what was the scientific value of this, but then I thought maybe we could get little nano trucks to go around in your body, like a grader that could remove cholesterol or something. Oh, cholesterol. Yeah, okay. This is a good idea. So the technology here could eventually find its way into you know, the cars that we buy, uh, the, the molecule-sized cars that we buy as consumers, perhaps in the future. I mean, if they went through my veins, they would be like a rally track, I think. So I'm. Yeah. Apparently, though, do the drivers of the cars become super arrogant and do young, good-looking members of the opposite sex or indeed of the same sex start uh, chasing after them? Yeah. If you win, do you get a nano trophy? That's delightful, isn't it? And a tiny, tiny bottle of champagne. Yeah. <laughs> that you've got to spray. 
You've got a spray or that. Um, apparently, as I say, the laws of physics don't apply in this situation. Neither do the laws of reporting. I have read some of the reports of the race, and I've got to tell you, it's hard just to find out the fundamental elements of this thing and even who's doing well or what the teams are or so on. They all have them, but it's just not easy. And they look quite alike. I mean, you've got to get in quite close to see the very different cigarette ads on them uh, <laughs> so you can tell, you know, which one's the Marlboro team. Or... The trouble with that, Brian, is they're going past so quickly. <laughs> Errol, you have a story which... Uh, it's hard to see initially whether, or even further into it, as to whether there's a light-hearted look at it. Well, you tell me, David. A report has come out in the US saying that road rage cases involving firearms have more than doubled in the last in the three years from 2014 to 2016, inclusive. The report by The Trace, a non-profit focused on gun violence, so, you know, take their advice with a large grain of salt, examined police reports, news stories and other sources to determine the figures. One of the main findings was that, perhaps unsurprisingly, people who carried a gun in their car were more likely to use it in a road rage incident, and that states with more relaxed gun laws had more cases of road rage involving guns. Conrad Hilton's father was a big wig in New Mexico, in a, in a sort of middle of America, in a smallish sort of town, and he owned a bar, and one day a friend walked into a bar and there was a guy waving a gun in the face of Conrad Hilton's father. And uh, they all calmed down after a while. And someone took his father aside and said, look, you really need to get the gun. And his father said, no, no, if we both had a gun, one of us would be dead. The trouble with this, and it's come up in road safety as well, we are bombarded with information and that. And we are now all in evaluating everything with fight or flight. So we demand for the right for one particular reason. You make a mistake. Therefore, everything I say or do is right because your mistake's there. And it's the most primitive part of your brain. And it, it, we see it a lot. You know, you abuse a cyclist for one simple reason. Well, they hold you up, but then you make the excuses they don't pay road tax. But a community service is not based solely on how much you contribute. A pensioner gets the same service on a bus or a train even if they paid a concession fare. A blind person goes for free. Now, should they give up the seat to everyone else simply because they pay? So we get these one reasons, we get so self-righteous about it, and we blast away. Indeed, mm. and interesting Occasionally with in both this, barrels. Interesting comments in this article, that a research paper called Is an Armed Society a Polite Society? Uh, guns and Road Rage. And, of course, I think you'd certainly find this sort of evidence would be suggesting, well, no, um, that, uh, you know, an armed society is probably a place where there's going to be a whole lot more people shot. And, of course, in the States, their statistics on gun incidents are just off the scale. And, and the commentary here is that really, you know, the car in many ways gives the motorist power, protection, an easy escape and anonymity. And these are, are I think, very dangerous things to then combine with um, deadly, the, the potential for deadly force. So, you know, in Australia, a few people might get out of the car and punch on, get embarrassed, somebody might get a little bit hurt. But if you can use that same position of power and anonymity combined with a gun, then um, some pretty nasty stuff is going to happen. And, and, and uh, I mean, everybody ex displays aggressive behaviour on the road. I do it. I sort of speak to other drivers and ask them what they're doing and why, why they've done that, just sort of not shouting but to myself. 
And, and so certainly there's some, yes, you're right, David, there's a kind of a willingness to find fault in others as a way to um, boost your self-esteem. Become very self-righteous about it, but we get very paranoid about it. The Huffington Post reported about a guy who shot a squirrel with an arrow, bow and arrow, because the squirrel looked at him in a funny way. Oh, oh dear. I took it personal, he said, according to the complaint. <laughs> They're on the same level. Yeah, They're dealing in the same sort of intelligence. He was worried that squirrel was going to steal his woman. <laughs> Take his job. Take <laughs> yes. the jobs. Did I tell that story? I was driving along. I realized I was going a little fast and I slowed down because it was a school zone. And a woman behind me got all upset and zoomed around me and gesticulated and so on. And I got up uh, to the lights and she was next door to me. I wound my window down and said, it's a school zone. Of which she said, oh, well, other cars were overtaking me. I said, no, no, it's a school zone. Uh, But what I should have said to really calm the situation and make the point was, I slowed down because it's a school zone. Not you're at fault and you're terrible. I'm just telling you what I did. Now, you know, you might well say, oh, she was wrong, but that's not the point. Am I going to try and bring about a good solution or am I just going to uh, have the politics of outrage? And the politics of outrage solves nothing, of course. Philosophy and maturity here on Overdrive. Mm. It doesn't always happen. But then again, Brian, there is a story of a woman who'd had what she felt was a very good reason to have an accident. That's right. This um, goes the other way, a a bit of immaturity and ridiculousness. A a woman in Idaho um, crashed into a deer. That's probably not a very uh, rare occasion on the uh, US 95 highway. What she claimed to the local sheriff's department, though, is that she saw a Bigfoot and this caused her to crash her car into, I guess, the deer. Um, She describes it uh, as being a shaggy creature between seven and eight feet tall who was chasing a deer along this stretch of uh, US uh, 95 outside Potlatch. And she said that uh, she kind of looked in her mirrors to see the Bigfoot and then as her eyes readjusted to the road, she hit the deer with her Subaru Forester. Uh, She continued driving on. Uh, She picked her husband up from work and then drove to the sheriff's office report the incident. Police officers said they did not find any evidence of Bigfoot at the scene of the crash. So not only is Bigfoot sort of avoiding humanity, it's leaving the scene of the crash. Oh. Mm. If only she'd had a dash cam, then we'd have the evidence finally. Oh, the evidence, yes. If the police, if they had have found evidence, they wouldn't be making a report. They would be getting the pictures and selling them to the media. You know, they would yes, give up yes. their jobs. The other thing is, yes. I wonder if she's going to try and sue Bigfoot, or you know, she's probably put in a request to know what his insurance is. Yeah, serve some papers on him. I have to track him down, and you've been served. I wonder what the point is of, of going through this. Um, what is a lengthy and, and it seems at the time a ridiculous set of statements in order to justify hitting a deer. Why didn't you just, yes. Surely it's like a, you know, it's not exactly a, a thing that cops would say, well, you've hit a deer and now you're in big trouble, but because you, that deer was being chased by Bigfoot, we absolve you of all responsibility. Yes, yes. And her car wasn't even that damaged because she kept driving and picked up her husband from work. And then she went, oh. to, the, to, went to the cops. And if you take this so, to the insurance company, what, what are they going to say? You're, you're less likely to get your claim paid when you bring Bigfoot into it, aren't you? I think she's trying to get off 
any penalty on the grounds of insanity. <laughs> I was driving not far behind her at the time, David, and I saw uh, a fleeting movement, but then I saw a bright light overhead oh, and yes. what looked like a creature being dragged up into yeah. uh, some kind of spaceship. Right. Yeah, yeah. Then you were probed. Yeah, it's a cover, David. I'm pretty sure the aliens are covering up Bigfoot, mm. who is jaywalking, clearly. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, last week we said that a naked statue might distract you. Now we've got Bigfoot, so we can go out and kill any Bigfoot because it's a road safety hazard. Mm. Yes, mm. yes. So apparently Mulder and Scully are on the case. <laughs> I want to run back through uh, accident reports here to see if the, if the drop bears have been implicated in any crashes. <laughs> they were a terrible thing when I was a young man. I think they've uh, possibly there's fear of them and around now. But when I was a kid, every bushwalk I went on was uh, there was a dreadful fear of uh, of drop bears. There's also the issue as whether we are better ana- do some analysis to see whether this type of problem is increasing or decreasing. And if it's increasing, we better run a community campaign. The other thing was she got some minor neck injury, whiplash. There we are. I think that's what it's all about. That's always the dodgy claim, isn't it? Yes, indeed. I think we have just one more story from Errol. Yes, David. A man in Wellington, New Zealand, has got himself thrown in jail for almost two years after repeatedly slashing the tyres of people parked in his suburb. Now, his reasons don't make a lot of sense. But it seems he was angry at people he thought were parking in his suburb of Miramar and going to the airport nearby. So basically they were freeloading. I, th- I think that's his general uh, whinge. He developed the nickname the Miramar Tire Slasher for slashing more than 300 tires over s- several months before he was caught by plainclothes cops. He has no money. He has no assets. So I guess he has no car. So is his complaint that they're taking up parking spots... Or is it just that he doesn't want them in the area? He doesn't want them in his area. It's sort of, you know, not on my not on my lawn. Well, interestingly, um, several of the cars that he slashed weren't airport people. They were possibly his neighbours and other people who had every right to park. And, of course, in public streets, everybody has the right to park. No one has the right to the space outside their house or in their street any more right than anybody else in Australia. So it's a public street. Uh, interestingly, he, he was not very remorseful. He said his actions were effective and he would have kept going if he hadn't been caught by those pesky kids. <laughs> in the Manly Ringa Peninsula in Sydney, which is a, an area up on the somewhat high property values of the northern beaches, there's been much talk that there's congestion on the road, but a lot of local residents say don't build new roads to remove the congestion because that will just encourage more people to come in here and certainly don't build any high-rise in our area. It's uh, pure and pristine and we don't want any more of those offensive people. I don't want any more of those people coming in and changing the way it is. <laughs> well, interestingly, I, I many years ago I worked on a local area traffic management scheme where people were concerned about uh, through traffic. They believed that a lot of people were driving along their streets that didn't belong there, that should have been out on the highway. We did some surveys and some counts, and we actually found that pretty much every car driving along that road lived there. They Mm. weren't through traffic. They weren't sort of strangers. They were the neighbours. And uh, they were all driving faster than they should have been. And so really it was, you know, reporting to them that, look, every one of these cars are your neighbours and... 
if there's a problem with speed, then yeah, let's talk to the neighbours about the problem about speed. The same has happened many times outside schools where police have been brought in to stop uh, through traffic that speeds past. They run a campaign and book a lot of people, which are mainly parents from the school. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, always good to talk. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, we'll catch you up next time. Thanks for your time. Thank you, David. All right, so David. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith talking some quirky news.